Hello, be beautiful. Welcome to It's Time to Be You, the podcast that helps people pleasers take control and finally put themselves first. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter, and I'm a recovering people pleaser here to help guide you as you let go of those expectations and step into who you're really meant to be. And as I've been on my own journey to discovering who I am and being my best self, I started learning more about our brain and neuroplasticity, which means that we can change our brain. And I think that's really cool. And as you're on your own journey, you may have started to discover some things about yourself that you want to work on and have been looking for answers. Well, recently, I've been finding that a lot of women that have been looking for answers have been diagnosed with ADHD. And knowing this has been giving them a lot of clarity. So today we get to speak with Dr. Rebecca Jackson a board-certified cognitive specialist and vice president of program and outcomes for Brain Balance Centers. Dr. Rebecca Jackson helps us to uncover myths regarding learning disabilities and specifically ADHD, how it may actually show up, and how we can continue to change our brain at any age. And as we're learning more about ourselves, it's important to not be so hard on ourselves, especially like when we're stressed and frustrated, because there might be more of an underlying issue of what we're feeling. And in this episode, we really talk about the why on how things work. And Dr. Jackson shares with us some brain wellness tips to help with our ability to function and focus and minimize brain fatigue. We don't have to stay stuck and overwhelmed. This conversation will provide you with some more information to help you on your journey to becoming you. Dr. Rebecca Jackson, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Will you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Sure. My name is Dr. Rebecca Jackson. Um, I started my professional career longer ago than I care to admit now as a chiropractor. Um, And if you would have told me years from now that you would be a board certified cognitive specialist and, and working with kids and adults with ADHD, I would have kind of laughed and rolled my eyes. But what I found was that chiropractic philosophy and that core foundation of, of understanding the brain and the body and how it works, that philosophy of focusing on the why, not the what, has really become a driving factor in what I've done throughout my life. So, you know, from the chiropractic perspective, if somebody has pain or isn't experiencing a headache, it's looking at, is there something going wrong in the body that's creating the symptom? And as I became a mom and a parent, I started to become far more interested in development, which led me to take classes in the neurology of pediatric disorders. And ironically, the very first class I took was the neurology of dyslexia. And after that class, my husband happened to be traveling that first weekend. It was a course that was taught um, over weekends for, for several months. And I called my husband and I said, Doug, you're dyslexic. (laughs) At this point, he was probably like 36 years old. He happened to be driving in the car with his dad. They were on a hunting trip together. And Doug said no. And his dad piped up in the background and said, yes, you are. And it was like this moment for my husband of, are you kidding me? Nobody, Nobody bothered to tell me this. And it turned into a really interesting conversation with his dad, where my husband is brilliant, um, but he's a second child. And they saw that they knew he was smart, but the reading and some of the pieces just weren't coming together the way they thought it should and the way it had happened for his sister. So at the time, they got him assessed and they were told dyslexia, there's nothing you can do about it. You'll outgrow it. All things not true. You don't outgrow it. Right. And, um, there's a lot 
that you can do to address it. Um, and his parents made the decision at the time to not tell him. They didn't want anything to hold him back. And he doesn't, he never did the classic letter reversal. So it never occurred to him that it was dyslexia, but dyslexia at its core is a phonological disorder. So you hear sounds different, which means your brain encodes those sounds different. So when you're reading what you're reading, what you're seeing and hearing in your brain is different than what you see. So it's, we always assume dyslexia is just letter reversal, but it's truly, right. it's a language disorder that impacts how you hear and see things. And so um, he had this aha moment of, you know, this really intelligent guy, but he went to Vanderbilt for university. He would stay home on a Friday night and be at the library studying. He had to work harder than as he would still go out after the library. Right. But he, he had to have structure and discipline and work harder. And he was aware that he had to work harder, um, but he was still able to, to pull it off. It's so interesting about your husband that he actually had been like diagnosed with dyslexia, but you know, they didn't make him aware of that. Cause I, the thing that I think about the most is like, I think sometimes if you're told something, you kind of live into that. So without him really knowing, it's like, he didn't have that in the back of his mind as like a setback. Like he knew he had to study like harder and work a little bit harder, but it wasn't like, he could have just been like, like if he had known that he had dyslexia sooner, he could have just been like, Oh, I'm dyslexic. I can't do it. Like that's that. But I thought it was, I think it's just so interesting that his parents decided like to just like, you know, not really put that label on him. You know, yeah. Doug's mom has passed away. And so I was never able to talk with her about that decision. Um, and honestly, his dad was like, oh, I had completely forgotten about that. <laughs> and he didn't, it, it shows me that that decision probably primarily came from Doug's mom, even though Doug's dad was obviously involved as well. You know, having lost a, a mother-in-law, that's always been one of the biggest things that I would have loved to have gone back and have a conversation with her as a parent of, you know, there were pros and cons to making that decision. They didn't want to lower their expectations because of a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so they still had very high expectations of Doug. They still saw what, that he was capable, that he was bright and they didn't want to give him any excuses, but I would have, I would have loved to have been able to go back and have a conversation with his mom about how they made that decision, how she felt about that decision afterwards. So I'm kind of curious since, um, you know, like that was kind of like the first person you diagnosed was like saying like he has dyslexia and like now uh, your focus is like, or like with brain balance, your focus is now ADHD. So I'm kind of curious about like how you got into like that side. Sure. You know, I wouldn't say that my focus is ADHD more than learning disabilities. It's just that statistically speaking, we see more ADHD is so much more talked about and known and understood than learning disabilities. So statistically over the years, I've worked with so many more children and adults with ADHD, whether it's been diagnosed or not. So that is a huge focus of conversation. Um, and it, it's fascinating to me and, and interesting. Yeah, for sure. And will you just tell us a little bit, I feel like, especially when it comes to like ADHD, it's like a word that we all kind of know, but like, what exactly is it? Sure. 
ADHD is, um, I mean, literally what it stands for is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And it's interesting to watch where if I think about a parent coming into my office or, or meeting with a parent and they're talking about their child, there's this connotation that goes along with um, the hyperactivity component of it, where mm -hmm. a parent will say, you know, it's almost like it, it's viewed as bad or negative of, you know, oh, my child has ADHD, but, but not the hyperactive component. But it's interesting to note the non-hyperactive version, which is what we talk about as attention deficit, is just as disruptive to brain functioning and your ability to perform. It's just quieter and more subtle. Um, a study out of Harvard actually looked at the movements with ADHD, and the inattentive ADHD has as much movement as the hyperactive ADHD, the movements are just different. They're smaller and more subtle. Um, so maybe it's the knee that's bouncing up and down or the foot tapping or the, the pencil that's you know, flapping back and forth versus the more hyperactive combined ADHD. You know, you picture that the, I always picture the fifth grade, you know, 10 year old boy in a classroom that has a hard time staying in his seat and just a hard time managing that impulse control. Yeah. Um, and even when, when I look at the why behind something, everything that I just described to you are the symptoms of ADHD, mm -hmm. but the what and the why behind it is more recent knowledge and science showing us that there's different brain structure. So somebody that's been diagnosed officially with ADHD, what brain imaging is showing us is there can be up to a 30% lessening of brain connectivity and pathways. So it's wow. not that this person isn't brilliantly intelligent, it's in the networks and pathways that help us with sustained attention, impulse control, executive functions, organization. They actually have fewer networks and pathways. So it's harder to accomplish those things when you have fewer tools to be able to do that with. Right. And then so like with these like fewer pathways, I mean, I guess, how does one like fix that? <laughs> sure. Um our brain gets better at what we're doing and practicing. Um, so, it, you know, it's not really fair to equate the brain to muscles, but we can use that as an analogy of if you want, you know, stronger arms, you can do bicep curls and you can do push-ups. And mm -hmm. by using your arms, you're going to get better at it. So there's a training or practice effect with the brain where if you struggle with sustained attention, and if you structure your day so that every day for a certain amount of time, maybe you start with 10 minutes and you work up to 20 and you keep increasing the amount of time, you set aside all distractions and you tell yourself, I'm just going to focus on one single task. And no matter how many times I want to interrupt myself, I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to check social media. I'm not going to the bathroom until I finish that task. That's a way to practice that um, and engage those networks and pathways that way to work on strengthening them. The impact that I love and gravitate to is that brain balance perspective of as we grow and develop, we naturally increase our ability to pay attention. A two-year-old can pay attention for a different amount of time than a 10-year-old, than a 20-year-old. So as development takes its natural course of maturing over time, we should naturally develop these abilities. So mm -hmm. from my perspective, going back and looking at fundamental and foundational brain developmental pieces, strengthening that underlying foundation leads to improvement, not just in those pathways, but in lots of other things, because you're driving that whole brain connectivity and productivity. 
Yeah. I mean, I just really like that idea of like, you know, focusing on something for 10 minutes and like really, um, you know, reminding yourself, like, I'm going to do this because I just, it just kind of sounds so familiar with like, if you're doing anything else as far as like building habits or whatever, but I, I guess I never thought about like almost training your brain to focus by like <laughs> setting that time and being like, I'm going to do this. And like, that's going to help like rewire your brain to be able to then actually sit down and focus for that 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me where our society has done created such a celebration and reward around the idea of multitasking. And I find for me, especially as a female, I feel personally that pressure of I'm a mom, I work, I've got hobbies and interests, I have friends. And it's this society almost celebrates multitasking and doing all these things at once and and trying to do them all beautifully doesn't happen. You know, I'm the mom that doesn't have fancy Pinterest birthday parties for my kids. I can barely, you know, I pull it together in one area and and things suffer in others. Um, So there's, we need to shift our focus to rather than trying to do everything all at once and not do it amazingly well, single focus. And you're more productive when you're singularly focused in smaller windows of time than in trying to do everything all at once. And our phones are the biggest distraction. Um, They ding, they pull our attention. Um, You know, before doing interviews like this, I turn off the alerts on my computer. I turn off the alerts on my phone. I flip it over so the screen doesn't light up and, and pull my attention. But those are all decisions and actions I have to consciously think about And I'm a person that doesn't struggle with attention and focus. I -hmm. still need to make sure that I'm creating a quiet, calm, non-disruptive environment. Yeah. I mean, I love that you bring that up about multitasking because I feel like for such a long time, it was like multitasking is like the thing that you're supposed to be proud of doing. Like, oh, I do this, this, and this all at the same time. Like, and it's something that you would put on your like resume about like how good of a multitasker you are. But, you know, I've learned that you really can't multitask. Like it's more like your task switching, just like, you know, back and forth and yeah, you're less productive when you're trying to do that. But if you actually just focus on one thing at a time, you're going to be like way more productive than trying to do it all. Exactly. And you just said a key word, task switching. Task mm-hmm. switching is something that we can take for granted. I assume that everybody's brain functions the way mind brain does. And that's not true, especially, you know, everybody's brain is different and a child's brain is very different than ours as it's developing. And somebody that struggles with ADHD, and I'm always going to say whether diagnosed or not, especially with adults, um, it is so often undiagnosed and may show up as anxiety or feelings of overwhelmed or outbursts with emotion and and frustration and upset. Um, But we take for granted that, task switching is something that people can do. Somebody that struggles with attention and focus is going to have a harder time switching gears from one task to another. Those transitions are harder and we'll have a harder time blocking out distractions and we'll have a harder time for their brain discerning what's the important information here, what's relevant and what can I tune out and block out. And so with somebody struggling with attention and focus um, in any of those executive functions, the impact isn't just on attention and focus. It's all those executive functions. It's task switching, it's prioritization, it's organization. Um, So we'll see higher tendencies of procrastination, of feelings of really feeling overwhelmed. Um, 
in, in adult females, and this can happen with males and children as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but statistically we see more in feelings of shame and inadequacy, um, which can really manifest in, in our emotions and our self-confidence and our willingness to try something new, um, when there's struggle there. So task switching, um, can be a challenge as well. Yeah. And I want to kind of dive into that more of like, just the whole, like, being undiagnosed. And I've been learning lately that, especially for women, a lot of women are now finding out that they actually have ADHD um, and they're being diagnosed in like their thirties and forties and above because it just wasn't, they didn't see it because it shows up differently in women than it does, you know, men. And especially like with that hyperactive part um, that you kind of mentioned earlier, that's just not how, you know, you see like little boys running around and going all crazy, but like not as often like little girls. So we just kind of maybe talk to us a little bit about this whole phenomenon about like women kind of being realizing they have it now. It's such an interesting phenomenon to me from a couple of different perspectives. The first is ADHD used to be defined as a childhood disorder. So there was this mm-hmm. thought of, even if you're diagnosed, like what my husband was told about dyslexia, you'll outgrow it. Right. And the data is not backing that up. Um, What the stats say on that now is that 80% of adults outgrow it. However, there's a big caveat there. Even Mm -hmm. those that quote unquote outgrow it, brain imaging is still showing difference in function. So what that tells me is there's still difference in structure present. Maybe they've just gotten better at working around the symptoms or challenges, putting in those modifications, putting in those you know, constructs to help your organization and prioritizing, figuring out your go-to strategies to be successful. Um, So we have finally gotten away from that thinking that ADHD is a childhood disorder. It's Mm -hmm. now called a lifespan disorder. Um, And it's, there was this huge wave, you know, going back to March, 2020, when the pandemic hit and the world shut down. And over the last year and a half, two years, there's been tripling rates of diagnoses with ADHD, anxiety, depression in both youth and adults. And one of the things that was happening is parents were watching their child struggle, bringing them in to be diagnosed. And while the mom was going through that diagnosis process with her child, having that aha moment of, oh my gosh, this is me as well. So there's been this spike in moms being diagnosed at the same time as their child. Yeah. And You know, to me, a label is such an interesting thing where there's pros and cons that go along with the label. I watch parents all the time really working to avoid or fight the label for their child because they don't want that stigma attached to them. They don't, you know, a quote that I'll hear from a parent often is I don't want that in my child's folder that follows them year after year through school. I want my child to be seen as the person that they are and and not the label. On the flip side of that, sometimes a label can actually be this sense of relief of it's not in my head. This is very real. And in reading about it, you can start to see, oh my gosh, that's exactly me. So for some people, there can be real peace and comfort in being able to point to that's what it is. It doesn't mean that I'm not brilliant. It doesn't mean that I'm not driven. It means because of this, I have to work harder in these certain areas. Um, And then having a label can also help people find a direction for a path forward. You don't have to be stuck where you are. The brain can change at any age, which is the beauty of neuroplasticity. Um, But being able to understand what it is can help 
you create a path forward of improvement. Yeah. I love that you say that because yeah, I think there are just so many stigmas around um, like ADHD and like things like mental health, but it is like such a relief and it's like, you can put a name to it and know like, okay, this is not like me having a problem. It's like my brain. It's like, like, it's like your brain. It's like, that's the cause of it. And you know, there is something that you can do to fix it and to like work towards it. And I really like just seeing this as, you know, it's a lifespan disorder, but that you can continue to grow with it and do things to retrain your brain to make progress with it. So it's not like this thing that's like going to hold you back. Um, So I'm curious to kind of know what are some other like misconceptions um, when it comes to ADHD? Sure. You know, one of the things just personal pipe dream here is I wish that I could (laughs) rebrand these disorders. And I, you know, I don't want to talk about things as mental health, because like you were saying, there's such a stigma, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, bipolar, there's a stigma that goes along with these things, which is so unfortunate, but it's the reality. And I would love to rebrand and think about these things from the terms of brain wellness. When Mm -hmm. we think about our own personal health and wellness, it it's a journey my health is always something sometimes I do better working on it than others, depending on motivation and and other factors, but you know, it's, it's a journey. It's a process. And no matter, you know, my gene size or what, there's always something that you can do from nutrition and exercise perspective to do better that benefits your overall wellness. It's true with the brain as well. Our brain wellness, how our brain works and functions impacts our mood and emotions. It impacts our ability to pay attention to block out distractions. It impacts anxiety, depression, ADHD, attention and focus. So again, diagnosed or not, there are things that we can be doing on a daily, weekly, yearly basis that helps to encourage and support brain wellness that can have a positive impact on mood and emotions, productivity in all those areas. One of the things that I see most frequently in my personal experience with adults, we're so often attributing things to our, our mood and emotions that actually foundationally goes back to the networks and pathways in the brain that are involved with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so what I find may actually be ADHD, when you look at brain structure, may present as anxiety. And we are seeing anxiety through the roof. Um, and that can play out due to knowing that their struggle, knowing that I have to work harder than my peers in order to accomplish something, knowing that I need to take more time in order to do it, that I have more of a tendency to make small mistakes or errors, Um, knowing that I feel like I'm capable, but I'm just not advancing in my job or performing the way I want, that that disconnect between who I feel like I am and what's happening, um, it, it can play out in feelings of anxiety and feelings of depression. Um, somebody that has a 30% reduction in those executive functions, networks and pathways is going to have a harder time regulating mood and emotions. So when you get frustrated and upset, there can be bigger upsets. So more outbursts, um, you know, anger, frustration, upset with, and again, this is very generalized stereotypical, but in males, we can see more of a tendency towards rage and anger in females. We can see more of a tendency towards bottling emotions and heightened emotionality. 
we can see tears in men and rage in women as well, for sure, mm -hmm. just what the stats show us. Um, so I think one of the common misconceptions is, you know, oh, I just, I just need to work harder at managing my mood. I need to work harder at stress management. There may be a very real structural reason why you have a harder time handling frustrations and upsets. Mm. And then on top of that, you know, what we've been facing and experiencing throughout this ongoing pandemic has added stress and change and challenge to all of us. And all of our brains require those networks and pathways to manage all the symptoms that we keep talking about. But a brain that's fatigued, a brain that's tired, a brain that's stressed has a harder time accessing those pathways on a good day. Mm -hmm. So we, we did a, I did a talk um, several months back talking about, you know, why everyone may feel like they're ADHD right now, even if they've never been diagnosed, but the world and the stress and changes that we've been facing has been tremendously fatiguing, making yeah. attention and focus and, and emotionality harder for all of us. So again, you don't have to be diagnosed for the struggle and challenge to be there and be real. Yeah. So I'm, you know, before we like continue on and get to like the actions and stuff for the brain wellness, I'm curious because with ADHD, if it, it can show up a lot of times as um, like anxiety and stress, like, I mean, how can you tell the difference? And like, if you are someone who has like been diagnosed as having just like anxiety, like, I mean, is there any harm in kind of um, going about like treating like anxiety and like not that ADHD part, if you might actually have ADHD. So on the medication side of things, that's a conversation that's really not in my realm. And so mm -hmm. uh, a physician that, that specializes in medication could answer that from a medication perspective. Yeah. From my brain-based perspective, if you're treating the symptoms of anxiety, but you haven't addressed the foundation for what may be contributing in making you more prone to experiencing anxiety, it may become more of a Band-Aid masking scenario. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. There are times when we need to focus on the symptom to get through a stressful time or a challenging time. Um, there are absolutely times in place where that Band-Aid is critical. Yeah. However, if you are wanting to really work towards driving more sustainable, lasting change so that you're not needing to have a strategy or a medication to lessen your anxiety and increase your productivity um, and your ability to feel like you're in control over your mood and emotions. Um, I think that's where taking a brain-based approach can be really helpful. And to me, the, the brain action steps that we'll talk about here in a little bit yeah. Everybody has a brain. Everybody's brain is highly complex. There is no downside to doing some of these just simple tips and strategies. Mm -hmm. There's only upside. It's like, you know, eating well and exercise. It's, it's all good in moderation. Right. Um, if you start going down that path and you're noticing some positive changes, then it might be worth it to do something more involved, like a brain balance program that is geared and designed to specifically strengthen and improve brain connectivity on a much higher level and degree than what you're able to accomplish, um, with strategies from home. And then, so yeah, let's get to those like, kind of like action steps. What are some things that people can do on their own? Three really simple categories that, that might feel like no brainers, but that it's so easy to let aside. 
our sleep is so important. And we can talk about each, um, our nutrition and then our physical activity. We sleep is, is the time when our brain absorbs and solidifies everything that we've learned throughout the day. So all of our conversations and exposures and activity, when we sleep at night, that's our time when our body rests and it, it heals and recovers and it solidifies memories and activities. So when we're not getting enough sleep, we're not giving our brain the opportunity to solidify what it's taking in and, and learning to apply it. So there's an impact on memory and cognition and attention when we're sleep deprived. Um, a really interesting study from Cambridge Brain Sciences um, several years back took a look at the impact on cognition. So cognition would be your um, attention, reasoning, several different aspects of memory. And what they saw was an individual that was sleep deprived and, and I forget the exact definition of sleep deprived, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrendous was -hmm. equivalent to somebody that had been consuming alcohol, trying to perform those same tasks. So, (laughs) you know, again, a multitasking overworked brains, right? How often do we stay up an hour later to do a little more or watch one more episode of whatever we're binging. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that that's going to impact your memory, your productivity and focus the next day. And so good sleep hygiene and getting, you know, as an adult, those six to eight hours as a child, it's so much more for the developing brain. Um, sleep hygiene is something um there are lots of sleep issues. So I don't want to minimize that for somebody that struggles with sleep challenges, but creating good sleep hygiene um, is a really great place to start to support a happy brain. Yeah. I mean, that's, (laughs) I feel like that's one of those things that like, like we all know we need more sleep and to actually get those six to eight hours. And it's just like a matter of like, do it. And like, now we know, like, even like, that it's so important for your brain and to be able to capture those memories and be more focused and stuff the next day. Like, yeah, be and it, again, it's kind of like going back to like actually having like the science and the why behind it, not just like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. I feel like crap, but like, <laughs> there's more to it. I didn't get enough sleep. My brain's going to function like crap. And I'm, I'm the right. worst knowing it. And last night I still, I'm the one more episode person is, you yeah. know, when we watch a show, I'm like begging my husband, come on, come on one more. And it's like, no, I've got a big day tomorrow. Enough. The show will be there tomorrow. Exactly. And what about the uh, nutrition part? What we feed our brain and body is the fuel to perform. Um, and you know, we all love treats. We all love snacks, all things in moderation. Um, but I think it's really important to lead with what your brain needs to function and perform and, and to model that for our kids and encourage that with our kids as well. Um, you know, when we talk about those executive functions, those higher level functions that we keep describing, those functions are high level and they require a ton of fuel to utilize. Mm -hmm. So if you are not well-fueled and one of the best, simplest ways to fuel your brain and body is with um, protein and good, healthy fats. And we can talk more about that in a minute, but Mm -hmm. if, if your brain runs out of fuel and, and again, high level functions require high level fuel. So you're going to deplete that fuel really quickly. And when that fuel gets depleted, you no longer have the energy to support high level functions. So Mm -hmm. if you're working on something challenging, if I'm writing something and I've really got to, you know, pull together, you know, research and apply 
thought and conclusions to this. I need to be in a window where I'm super focused and dialed in. My brain needs fuel in order to do that. And when our brain crashes, it accesses negative mood and emotions. So when we run out of fuel, our mood is going to crash as well. And the best way to understand this, I love the term hangry. Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking about. I was like, that's why I get hangry. <laughs> it is in, in picture. I, I, I've been hangry less now that I know what I know, but, you know, picture that moment, you know, you, to make a decision of, okay, you've got to eat, but where do you want to eat? We're on a road trip. Here are your choices. It is so difficult to make a decision in that moment. You can't plan, execute, have a high level conversation, focus. And it's because your brain has run out of fuel and when it runs out of fuel, it gets mad. And so we're in a negative emotionality state and we can't focus, we can't function. And then as parents, if that's our child, we're going to yell at them for, you know, inappropriate tone. You're being rude. You're being disrespectful, but yet the reality is their brain just ran out of energy and they can't control it right now. So setting yourself up, you know, sugar's delicious. We all love it. Sugar peaks and then crashes, leaving us craving more and leading more to a more frequent hangry state. So regulating your blood sugars so that it's more consistent is such an important thing. Um, and consuming consistent proteins and healthy fats, um, like nuts, um, nut butters, avocado, um, coconut oil, Um, you know, there's so many ways to get good, healthy fats and ways to consume protein, you know, protein shakes or crackers and hummus, or, um, you know, there's lots of creative ways to do that with kids. My recommendation is always trying to get protein and healthy fats in five times a day. It's snacks and meals, um, not just meals to really help regulate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I love thinking about food as more fuel and not just like, I'm hungry. I need to eat something, but like, what am I actually like fueling my body with? Like, it's so important. And then, so the other thing you mentioned was, um, like activity. So tell us, um, more about that and what's like ideal. Physical activity is one of the simplest, most powerful tools we have at our disposal for what it does to impact the brain. Do you know, when we look at brain function, up to 80% of our brain is dedicated to our sensory systems. So our brain is just constantly processing so much information to orient us in the world. So I'm listening to everything you're saying. When the cameras were working, I could watch you. So I felt like we were having a face-to-face conversation. It's warm in my office right now, the sun's shining in. So I'm processing, you know, touch and heat and sound and, and sight all at the same time. And so when we get physical exercise and activity, not only are we spiking heart rate and increasing oxygen flow throughout the body and firing and lighting all these muscles, which by the way, each muscle that lights and fires, fires a nerve, which comes from the brain. So using our muscles wakes up and lights and fires the brain. And then when I'm going for a run outside, it's engaging all of my senses. If you're, it doesn't have to be outside to engage the senses, but that's a great way to do it. So think about physical activity, like natural caffeine, a natural cup of coffee for the brain to just light and fire and wake things up. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I didn't act. I never really thought about um, physical activity, like connecting with the brain, but I mean, it makes so much sense. Like everything's connected, but I, it just kind of goes to show like why it's so important because 
you know, I mean, I think we hear all the time of like, you know, it's important to like move your body. And especially when it comes to like mental health, like it's so good for, you know, your mental health. Um, but yeah, the fact that it like fires up your brain like that, like, yeah, that's so good to know. And it's, I think we get into this mindset of, I need to do a 30 minute, you know, cardio workout three times a week for it to be effective or beneficial. And there's so many different ways and views to look at exercise and the benefits of it. Looking at it from the brain perspective, movement is just so powerful. But then with, you know, the advent of computers and Zoom now, (laughs) we're all moving less than ever, which makes our brain a little more sluggish. And so taking the time for brain breaks, movement breaks, whatever we want to call it, putting dedicated time in your day to move and something, you know, minute, like small little minute breaks can still be powerful from different perspectives Mm -hmm. doing just, and this is a whole nother conversation that we can talk about our, our cycles of focus. But when you find yourself starting to get antsy, your, your focus cycle has come to an end, pay attention to that. Get up. If you find yourself wanting to go to the bathroom, wanting to grab a glass of water, that's your brain signaling you to move. And that's going to help you wake back up. So doing something as simple as stretching, firing a muscle again, is going to fire input into the brain. Then if you want to take that even to the next level, engage large muscle groups more and spike the heart rate. So doing something as simple as taking one to three minutes to go breathless quickly is really going to wake and reset the brain. And so I don't know about you, but like if I attempted five burpees in a row, I'd be sweating and huffing and puffing (laughs) or, you know, jump roping a hundred times or squat jumps or running up and down the stairs. It doesn't, it doesn't require fancy equipment. It doesn't require a gym membership. It requires dedication and discipline for you to do it. Um, but that can really, if you're feeling stuck, whether it's mood or emotions, your focus, um, doing some quick bursts of physical activity can help to reset it. Um, those are ways that we can reset and re-engage our brain to activate, to help support productivity. Yeah. You know, I love that. It sounds like you can just kind of do some small movement, like throughout the day, like it doesn't have to, like, if you can do like a morning workout or something great, but it sounds like you can still have the benefits just by doing a few things throughout the day and kind of breaking it up. So I really like that. Cause like, I think sometimes we think like, oh, I didn't work out for like two hours this morning. Like then I can't do anything that's going to be good for my body. And I don't have the time. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, people never think they have the time, but yeah, it's like, if we just take a break and especially when our body's telling us that we need a break if we just go ahead and take it um you know take a you know a few minutes to get outside and take a walk or something like that can just do wonders for us and so go ahead and tell us more about brain balance and exactly like what you all do and like who it's for and everything brain balance started with a focus on kids and for our first decade plus it was a program helping kids to struggle um you know, the best description of brain balance is that we're a personalized non-medical program that is focused on building and strengthening the brain. Um, Everybody has different areas of relative strength and weakness throughout the brain. So everybody presents different, which is what makes it so fun and unique and interesting, even all these years later for me. But what we see is if you have areas of 
lack of connectivity or immaturity in connectivity, um, there's areas that are going to be harder for you than others. And nothing in the brain happens in isolation. The brain is so interconnected that if you have struggle in one area, if you struggle with attention and focus, there are going to be other areas impacted. Mm -hmm. And we tend to, it's easy to look at these things all as separate concerns. Well, I struggle with auditory processing and I, you know, struggle with attention and focus. And, you know, sometimes memory, I need repetition to get things to stick it's all interconnected and interrelated. And so what's fun from the brain balance perspective is when we're working to make the whole brain stronger and more efficient, we see change in so many areas all at the same time. Um, yeah. So you'll see increase in mood and energy, decrease in anxiety, while also seeing an increase in your ability to sustain attention and focus and block out distractions and manage frustrations and emotions. And um, so it's what's so tremendously rewarding about it is even the kids themselves can often verbalize that they feel different and what they notice in themselves. Um, so nothing's, nothing's more rewarding than that. And then what's been really fun over the last several years is, you know, for a decade, the parents were saying, that's great, but what about me? I struggle with these same concerns. Right. And so over time, we've continued to expand, you know, but we always had this kid focus, um, but we've continued to keep expanding our ages and expanding who we helped. And when, when I first started working with college kids years ago, I was blown away there's always been this, you know, theory or thought that you're going to get to a point where we can't create change anymore. And originally it was early intervention and then it was pre-puberty and the college kids were blowing it out of the water. And the college kids were my biggest source of, of referral because they were feeling different function. Maybe they were off their, their Adderall medication for school or getting better grades or able to keep up and follow along in a lecture for a first time. And they were referring to us, their boyfriends and girlfriends and their roommates and their friends. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the, the beginning of, okay, these kids are a little bit older and we're still creating change. And so, you know, continuing to, to read the research and follow the research and continuing to expand, we're continuing to drive change in, in adults. And the adults have been fascinating that we're working with is we're working with some incredible people that like my husband, you know, very intelligent. We've got, you know, everybody from medical doctors and, and high level um, high level people in many interesting ways, but they've got these places where they're feeling stuck, where they're really struggling and maybe it's impacting them personally or professionally, but, um, really a common thread that we're seeing in, in the adults that we're working with is they just felt stuck and what they were doing wasn't enough. They were needing something different. Um, and so adding brain balance in is, is a huge, um, you know, picture it like boot camp for the brain. It's, it's, it's intense. It's involved. It starts as a minimum of a three-month program. You're doing exercises and activities uh, daily, starting with just 15 to 20 minutes a day, and it builds. Um, but it's it's the physical, active, engaging program that strengthens the brain. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, I mean, it's just so um, exciting to know that like there's still time to learn and work with your brain and help it to continue to just like grow and develop because like, we're not done, you know, um, as kids, like life goes on and we've got to continue to keep learning and growing. And I think, yeah, especially now, I think a lot of people have just kind of realized that they've been stuck and, you know, are being aware of like, they actually might have ADHD or, you know, other mental health issues. So just the fact of knowing like, 
that we can still do something about it and work with our brain, I think is just so exciting. It is. And, and I'm such a want to be proactive person. And so if there's something that's hard for me or holding me back or challenging me, I want to know what can I do about it? And I want to teach that to my kids. What are tools that you have at your disposal? Again, everybody's going to go through hard times in life. There's stress, there's anxiety, there's loss, there's depression, you know, life is real and hard and messy and ugly at times. And there's a lot that we can't control, but what are the things that you have at your disposal that you can do? What are tools that you have that can help? And that's always what I want to empower my kids with is if you're stressed, if you're facing a tough time, where do you start? What can you do to start to feel like you have a little control or a little impact on how you're feeling? Um, So, so you know, easier said than done. Um, and it, it's, you know, I want to be clear, brain balance isn't a replacement for um, any other services, but by strengthening and improving the brain, hopefully if you're working with a counselor, you can get even more out of what you're doing. If you're struggling in school and the brain is stronger and more able to pay attention and, and better at remembering information, what you're learning in school is going to go even faster and, and go even better. So we're here to, to help you get more out of everything you do in life. Um, We're not, you know, there's no one-stop shop for all things, Um, but we're, we're so tremendously proud of our research and results and outcomes showing structural change in the brain, showing change in symptoms, showing change in functions that we're able to measure that result in people feeling better and functioning better. Yeah, exactly. And I love, you know, about what you said about like, where can you start? Cause I think so often it's just like, we just need to get started. And I mean, you gave us some great tips on things that we can kind of focus on, but I love that, you know, you, the like brain balance is there. It's just like another resource for people and another, I mean, I think we can never have like too many tools in our toolbox. So where can people, um, like find out more information about, about brain balance? brainbalance.com is is a great place to start. It's our website and we've got locations all across the country and now have brain balance from home. So you can do the program anywhere. Um, And we launched, um, officially launched the adult program. I'm definitely going to put the link in the show notes and I can't wait for people to just check it out and see like what they gain from it. Um, I could just like talk to you forever. Like I am loving this conversation (laughs) and I'm like nerding out over here, (laughs) but like, what is like a message that you really want to leave with people today? Trust your gut and know that things can change. Mm -hmm. If you're a parent and you're watching a child that, that is struggling and you're not sure, is it because they're a boy? Is it because they're six? Is it because, you know, maybe things are going on in your household trust your gut. If there's a child that you're worried about, um, brain balance assessment is a great place to start. There's other many wonderful um, practitioners and people out there. If you have a question, um, look into it. Don't, don't put off a hunch. And my last message is the brain can change at any age. And so know that it's normal and okay to have times in life where you're feeling stuck, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed, but know that there's things that you can do that can have a very real and lasting impactful um, impact yeah. uh, on, on your life. Awesome. I love it. That is like such a good message to leave on. Thank you so much. I really appreciated this conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks to Dr. Rebecca Jackson, we have learned so much about learning disabilities, the importance of brain wellness, and that we can continue to learn and change our brains. So if any of this piqued your interest for yourself or your child, you should definitely check out Brain Balance Centers for more resources to improve your brain's overall function and positively impact your life. And that link is in the show notes. And if you're trying out some of the activities that Dr. Jackson mentioned, like working on your ability to focus instead of multitasking, getting better sleep, your nutrition and overall wellness, and want to be around other people pleasers that understand your struggles, come join us in the free It's Time to Be You Facebook community so we can cheer you on and support you as you're working on your brain wellness. The link to join is in the show notes, and I can't wait to see you there. Remember, be you, be beautiful. 